Therapy Chat Podcast, Episode 219. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Are you going through menopause or perimenopause? It can be a struggle to find comfort in your body with night sweats, hot flashes, and so many other uncomfortable symptoms. Hormone Harmony is a supplement for women going through perimenopause, menopause, or postmenopause, created by Happy Mammoth. They are dedicated to making women's lives easier using only science-backed ingredients that have been proven to work for women. Hormone Harmony contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors like chaotic hormonal changes that happen naturally throughout women's lives. So hormone harmony isn't just for menopause. Any woman with symptoms of hormonal imbalances can take it, but it's perfect for those horrible menopause symptoms that put a woman's life on hold. Hot flashes and night sweats, racing thoughts and low moods, poor sleep and feeling tired all the time. For a limited time, you can get 15% off on your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code CHAT at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code CHAT for 15% off today. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan, and today I am so excited to bring you a second conversation with two very inspiring clinicians. They are going to talk about their embodied recovery model, and this is their second time being my guests on Therapy Chat. Today we are talking about attachment, somatic work, and sensory processing in recovery from eating disorders and in healing in general. I know you are going to enjoy this conversation. So let's dive right into my interview with Paula Scatalone and Rachel Lewis Marlowe. Therapy Chat Podcast wouldn't exist without the support of its listeners. If you'd like to become a member please go to patreon.com slash therapy chat. By making a $1 per month donation, you can help Therapy Chat keep going over the long haul. Thank you for your support. My guests today are Paula Scatalone and Rachel Lewis Marlowe. Paula and Rachel, thanks so much for being my guests on Therapy Chat today. 
Thank you for having us. We're so pleased to be here. Thanks. Yes, I'm so grateful that you both could come back and I'll let our audience know because I like to give full disclosure that uh, you generously shared your time with me a couple months ago and due to technical issues, user error on my part, it did not record. So we're doing it again. So I'm extra special grateful to you for being so generous in that way. It's our pleasure. Yeah, thanks. So Let's start off before we dive into talking about embodied recovery. Let's just start off by both of you introducing yourselves and telling us a little bit about your work. Wonderful. Okay. <laughs> Paula's looking at me. So this is Rachel. And I'm going to actually introduce Paula. Yeah. So, and, and she can correct me and add if I, if I get anything wrong, but so just to maybe even start, like Paula and I have been, have been actively working together on developing this model and this training program for about three or four years prior to that, Paula has a long and established history and lots of experience working in the field of eating disorders. She was her initial training was through some of the pioneers in the field, um, Anita Johnson and Carolyn Costa. Mm-hmm. Costin. Costin. I should know that. And she helped to develop a, an eating disorder program in Hawaii and has always been a body oriented person and started to integrate aspects of her interest in body to um, bringing that into her work in psychotherapy um, through starting through movement and also then studying somatic experiencing. That was a big piece of it for her and just started to bridge this, these, these disciplines and starting to see how the way in which the body regulates or dysregulates really impacts the way that we relate to food and eating. And so she was working at an eating disorder treatment program. That was the same one that I was working at. And that's where our paths met. And she had independently developed a body of work from the body of work that I did. And we decided that we would start to merge our models and our teaching. And that's how we developed the Embodied Recovery Institute. What else? What do do we want to add to that? Well, I mean, I guess one of the things I was going to talk about is just how we're different and how, you know, what we bring, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You're a beautiful compliment to one another. We are. Yes, please. (laughs) Tell us. We're very different. Yeah, yeah. So, Paul, so, you want to tell us about that? Right, yeah. I, well, I mean, for, so for me, as I describe Rachel, so I think of her as, you know, her background is in choreography and dance and as a body worker, right? So she has many, many years of experience in working with the body from those avenues and then, you know, came into the psychotherapy world through getting the LPC and then the sensory motor community and her training. She's fully trained in sensory motor psychotherapy. And so then she began to weave. And um, I really think of her as a choreographer at heart. And and that's what a lot of our training is. It's, It's a beautifully choreographed model that pulls from many different theories. And, and so Rachel is really a visionary that can hold a lot of different theories at the same time. And because of that, she can be very expansive. <laughs> Sometimes, whoa, way 
expansive and 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 I have to kind of rein her in a little bit. And that sort of speaks to how we teach, right? So I can be very specific and very concrete and very research focused and have a lot of di- different perspectives that I hold and reference pertaining to this when she goes very broad can sort of link that up to research and theory. And so I think that's the complementary nature of how we teach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, I, and I think also yeah. I have a, I think a pretty significant um, learning disability. So mm-hmm. I pretty dyslexic. And so the way in which I learn and the way I process information and then the way that I impart it is, is very different than the way Paula does because she's a voracious reader. And so it's very interesting that, that, that also kind of impacts the way in which we communicate and we take in information and we teach and we teach. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that you really do complement each other beautifully. I thought you were going to say it's a beautifully choreographed dance because it is. And I've attended your level one of embodied recovery training. And I, I witnessed that firsthand and, you know, it wouldn't have been what it was without each of you and what you bring. It was really fabulous. I think, I think there's one thing that we share that is so core, though, and that is that without a felt sense of what we're talking about, we can't teach it. And that that's really at the core of what we are, what we're examining and how we examine it, what we're teaching and how we teach it is that this is about embodiment and how that impacts who we see ourselves as and who and how we see the world, not just the meaning that we make, but literally what we can actually perceive in the world and and how we relate to it. So a lot of, I think, approaches to working with mental disorders and cognitive distortions and eating disorders, et cetera, we were looking at belief systems and changing belief systems. And what really talk, what we really focus on is how do we embody those belief systems? How do we, and how do we work with the change process from an embodiment perspective? Yeah. And that is so significant what you just said. I mean, about the felt sense and which I would invite you in a moment to expand on what that really means just for anyone who's listening for the first time and has never heard about that, but how we can have thoughts in our minds and we can say all the right things and tell ourselves to think all the right things, quote unquote, right things, you know, like I shouldn't feel this way. I should feel this way, or I'm supposed to replace that negative thought with a more positive thought or take perspective here. But what we're perceiving and reacting to is also happening. And so if it's, you know, if we're trying to tell ourselves to think those things that those change those core beliefs, when what our body is saying is those core beliefs are real. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, we're not going to get anywhere trying to do it that way. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Right, right, right. And that's one of the ways that we can, we can have a belief that we hold true for somebody else, but we don't hold it true for ourselves because the, the way in which we experience ourself is through a different sensory processing, part of our sensory processing system than how we perceive other people. And, and we're getting different information. So 
you know, my sense of, you know, you are innately beautiful or something, you know, I can, I can match that with what I, I see visually about you across the room. But if what I'm experiencing in my own physicality and internal state doesn't match that, you know, I'm not feeling the innate, my innate beauty. What I'm feeling is, you know, more of, of my dysregulation. <laughs> it's going to be right. really hard for me to, to, to embody that, you know. And so that's one of the things that, that we encounter a lot with yeah. our population is that there's this sense of, yes, yeah, so that's true for you, but not for me. Yeah. Or I think about it in terms of the brain, where we have a, most eating disorder treatment is trying to, to support change at the, at the um, prefrontal cortex, yeah. but these beliefs live in the limbic system. Or the reptilian brain is what's driving. So they're actually trying to influence change in parts of the brains that they're not actually <laughs> accessing. <laughs> and yeah. so we're, we're trying to enhance treatment to interact with the parts of the brain that actually where those beliefs are operating. Yeah. Well, it's totally different. It's totally different <laughs> from the way people are doing eating disorder treatment. And I think it's much needed. Not that I'm an expert in eating disorders and you both are, but you know, I know that just the heady approach isn't, isn't enough. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So let's go back to that concept of a felt sense. And if you would, will you two explain to our listeners what you really mean when you say that? When we were talking about a felt sense of Mm -hmm. something. Yeah. So I think maybe just to answer that is to give sort of like a, a, a small primer on sensory processing, if that's okay. Perfect. Okay. And um, so this is Rachel speaking. So one of the things that we, we um, borrow from the field of occupational therapy is a way of um, a lens of looking at our sensory processing system in terms of the senses that tell us about our external world or what we would call our far senses, which are hearing, smelling, tasting, touch, and vision, right? Our, our five, what we call our five classic senses, right? And those are our far senses. And then there's something that we might call our near senses. And the near senses are giving us information about our internal state or our or ourself, right? And those are proprioception. And what that does is it tells us where we are in space. It is activated through receptors in the joints and deep muscle. And, and it's, it's, they're activated by compression. And so if I extend my arm out and I, 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 I come in contact with a wall, right? And I feel that compression of my joints, I know, oh, okay, there's the wall, there's me. That's as far as my arm goes. I know where I am in space because I'm getting this feedback from my, the outside world, but it tells me about the length of my arm and that my arm is attached to my body. And this is very important because this helps me know if a tiger is ripping my arm off or not, right? Or, or, or um, you know, something is being pulled too far. I know, you know, oh, this is not good. I'm losing my, I'm losing a part of myself. So it gives me a sense of where I am in space. The other, another near sense is our vestibular organization. And this is the, the sensory organ for this is in our inner ear. And it tells us where we are relative to gravity, what is up and down, 
Okay. And it, it's kind of like we set our, our gyroscope access based on this. Now, this comes online through movement. This is and and through calibration through through movement, which is one reason why little kids love to be spun around and flipped upside down, right? They can handle it. But once we once we kind of get a sense of, oh, okay, this is gravity and this is up and down. Um, and it's locked in place, that's when that spinning can actually cause nausea, right? Because it's like, oh, wait a minute, I, I'm trying to always recalibrate. And so that's another internal sense that really lets us know, you know, where we are. Then the third near sense is our interoception. And that is, is information coming more from our viscera and it's what tells us if something feels tight or painful or bubbly or warm or pleasant, relaxed. It's all of these messages from the general internal environment that are sent up to the brain. And a lot of that tells us. Am I hungry? Am I hungry? Am I full? Right. right. And then that can also even continue up into the insulate. It's like, am I sad? Am I happy? Am I scared? You know, all and we're getting information from, you know, all of our body up to our brain that's giving us a sense of, am I in the realm of safety? Am I in the realm of danger? And based on that, am is my body going to organize around activities of creativity and exploration, or around activities that are more geared towards survival? And and so kind of going back to your question, having a felt sense of something has to do with the congruency of our internal state and our near senses, our far senses, and our thoughts. Like, is there congruency? And, and you'll, you can kind of see this in people when you're, you're saying something and, and you, you'll even ask them a question like, does that make sense? Or they'll say, oh, that makes sense. And their whole physiology, the whole body kind of both relaxes and enlivens simultaneously. It's like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, you know, the body can breathe. It, it will spontaneously take this nice full breath when something lands in a way that makes sense, meaning there's congruency in our sensory system along with our cognition. Yeah, okay. So... Thank you. I mean, that's a complex answer because it's a complex question, honestly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Paula, was that too vast? No, I think that it's very specific. Um, lays things out quite well. I mean, yeah. what people don't know a lot, I think what, what our training brings is that all of this influences capacity to regulate and to eat <laughs> and to digest effectively. And I think as a field, we need to start considering and assessing and then utilizing specific interventions to support with the near senses and, and with the far senses, because with eating disorders, that is definitely not working in the way it's supposed to be working. There is, you know, we have alexithymia with eating disorders, which is, you know, the capacity to not know what you're feeling. Um, and, and we have an inability to access hunger cues and fullness cues. And we have clients that don't literally don't know where their bodies end or where they begin. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it has to be included into treatment. 
Um, and I think occupational therapists have a lot to teach us about how. And so in our training, we use a lot of tools that occupational therapists would use. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was the part of your training and your, when we first talked the first time here on Therapy Chat, that blew my mind the most because that was the part that didn't relate to anything I've learned in school. And it was because I'm not an occupational therapist. I'm a mental health clinician. And it's, you know, it shouldn't be separate because our mind and body aren't separate. But, you know, obviously OTs have their role and we have ours. And I totally respect the different scope of practice that we have. But it seems like such an important missing piece when we don't have that included in our work as therapists, whether we're working with eating disorders, because obviously that involves the body. So clearly, Mm-hmm. It. Mm-hmm. But in any, any work, because, you know, trauma is held in the body and the interplay of the sensory system and the effects of impact of trauma is just mm-hmm. so fascinating to me. Yeah. yeah. And, and I would also add to that, that not only is trauma held in the body, but so is attachment and so is safety. Yes. And that I think we do recognize that early life experiences impact later life experiences. But what we sometimes don't give enough attention to is that, you know, the first three, five years, but really like definitely the first two years, we're learning a lot about who we are, what the world is about. And we don't have language and cognition but we know, we have knowledge, right? It's coming through the sensory motor system, not the cognitive processes. And it's not so much in language and it's, it's not in meaning, it's in experience. And so we need experience, felt experience to have true change on that level. Yeah. So again, with... We, we've talked about this before on the podcast, but with when you say the sensory motor system, can you just let people know exactly what you mean by that? <laughs> <laughs> so without getting like super like, um, n- like neurosciencey, because I'm not qualified to get super neurosciencey. <laughs> without trying to put a three-year training into a 45-minute podcast episode. <laughs> So what do I mean by that? I mean, so the sensory system are, you know, it's basically how we take in information. And we might say the motor system is how is, is movement is relationship. It's how we, we, how our internal world interfaces with our external world. Right. And so it's, it's about how we know and how we communicate in every way other than formal language. Yeah. How does that sound? That sounds good. <laughs> that was very succinct. That sounds good. What would you add to that, Paula? I'm, I'm trying to think of exactly what question she posed. What was sensory motor system? What is the sensory well, motor system? Yeah. I, it's a way it's like that we, <laughs> yeah, we organize. And I think that what a lot of people don't understand that neuro, neuroscientists and occupational therapists also understand is the link between 
the sensory motor processes and the attachment system. I mean, the whole process mm-hmm. of developing self and then rapprochement and being able to leave and go, you know, seek out mm-hmm. other and then come mm-hmm. back. It's all a sensory motor process, but we, we only understand it from the, you know, the psychological piece of it, right? Yeah. Um, but but we've, we're missing that that's actually a sensory motor process that's happening with the development of being able to crawl and move away and come back. And, and so that is, um, that was a big aha for me in the somatic experiencing training of really seeing like, Oh, (laughs) all this infant development is important and connected to our psychological growth. Yeah. Um, I, I, and I can maybe try and give you like a little example. And with this, I really want to credit the work of Bonnie Greenbridge Cohen um, and the body mind centering, because that's a, that's a way that I was introduced to a lot of these, this concept of the interrelationship between our sensory system, our body systems, our, our physical state and our emotional state and our cognitive state, right? The state of being, the state of mind. And so, for example, you know, I'm working with somebody who feels like her needs are, you know, so big, right? Because they never seem to be satisfied. And the story, the family story was, you know, she just, she just wants too much. She's just, it's too much. She's too this, she's too that, whatever. And as I work with her, and the way in which her body it hurts and the movement that's available to her, her movement patterns. And we stay with it and we go back and look at the like this, these earliest beliefs that feel like they've always been there, that her needs are huge. And in just that there's something about her that is insatiable, right? And how that plays out in her relationships and romantic relationship, et cetera. And as we're working, what we get to is that her rooting reflex, that, that reflex that, that turns the head with stimulation on the cheek, that turns her head so that she can latch on and suckle and, be, and take in nourishment. There's tension in her jaw that goes with this sense of I have to hold my head up. And so her neck is simultaneously having to create stability but and can't access the rooting reflex. And so when we just give support to her head, right, a motor, a sensory motor experience that allows her postural muscles to relax and therefore the reflex of turning that goes with a soft cheek and, and again, sensory input to the cheek that brings the head to turn and allows the throat to open to receive nourishment. And all of a sudden there's this spaciousness and there's this understanding that what she needs really isn't that big. Like she can take that in. She, she can be sated if she just has a little bit of support, right? And it shifts everything. Yes. Does that make sense? Makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so, so it's like we can, we can work with the cognition. We could even work with volitional movement, you know, like reach out, turn, ask, all that stuff. But the core belief is still entangled in this tension mm-hmm. that has been inhibiting her ability to 
feel support of that rooting reflex. Mm-hmm. I have a I have another example. Someone who might not be able to eat because things feel like they're too much, right? Who so um, has seems too much. Is the that food right? seems everything seems like too much, mm-hmm. right? So they restrict. And um, so we, we work a little bit with um, and start to explore proprioception, right? And so when there's low proprioception, low registry, right? An inability to sense where the body is in space. And we begin to get curious about, okay, well, I, what's happening then to, to my regulation if I can't physically feel without that proprioception where I end and where I begin. And what happens for the person then is she begins to feel like, well, I'm, I just feel everything then. I feel because I can't differentiate because of that proprioception that I'm a me. And then there's things, there's a world outside of me. And so there's a merging that happens and, and things feel like too much. If you're, if you're feeling everything all the time that's around you, that's too much. And so when we begin to define with whether it's using weighted sandbags or, you know, tactile support coming in through touch or uh, weighted pillows, the sense of self physically begins to organize as as we Mm -hmm. put that proprioception in place. And as the client finds self in a very literal way, okay, she begins to differentiate self and other and her system starts to regulate, which then supports her capacity, like, oh, maybe there's a little space for some food. Mm. So that's mm-hmm. another, mm-hmm. I think, example of the, yeah. Yeah. The, the importance of that sensory motor piece. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Therapists, we've all had that moment. You wake up in the middle of the night. Oh, my gosh. Did I do my notes? Well, you don't have to worry about that anymore when you use therapy notes. Therapy notes makes it easy to write your notes, get them done quickly, but thoroughly. My group practice has used therapy notes for six years and everyone always finds it easy to use. But the best thing is if you do need help, you can call their customer service number and a person answers the phone. And anytime I've ever had to use it, which is maybe three times in the past six years, My issue has been resolved easily with a cheerful demeanor in 15 minutes or less. So I highly recommend Therapy Notes. And don't forget, go to therapynotes.com and use promo code CHAT to get two free months. The Institute for Creative Mindfulness is the EMDR therapy training brainchild of Dr. Jamie Marich, a clinician and author who's on a mission to confront stigma around mental health, trauma, and dissociation. The Institute, informed by Jamie's work, teaches a somatic, expressive, bottom-up approach to EMDR therapy that does not treat dissociation like a dirty word. ICM empowers their students to navigate dissociation as a normal response to trauma and stress when it shows up. Dr. Jamie Marich is out and proud on various levels about her own recovery and is a strong believer in the healing capacities of EMDR therapy and helping our clients to heal from the impact of trauma. I and two of my team members have been trained by the Institute for Creative Mindfulness directly with Jamie, and I was 
impressed with how dissociation really was treated as just a normal aspect of trauma therapy work, which it is. Both Jamie and the consultants were matter of fact about if and when dissociation arises, it's okay, it's normal, and here's how you can help the client in that situation. The Institute for Creative Mindfulness is offering a coupon code to save 15% off any program offered by ICM. This includes their EMDR therapy basic training programs and a wide variety of their home study, advanced topics, and other CE offerings. Go to instituteforcreativemindfulness.com and use promo code 15 for listeners. There's a link in the show notes. You can copy the promo code and use the link right there in the show notes to make it easy. We all know that small actions can make a big difference in our lives. I know for me, I can be in a terrible mood, go out somewhere and see a stranger, make eye contact and just smile at them and find suddenly I feel good. Whether it's practicing mindfulness a few minutes each day, movement practices, small actions can have big benefits, like how taking care of your gut can support whole body health. Seeds DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic benefits your gut, skin, and heart health in just two little capsules a day. Your body is an ecosystem and great health starts in the gut. Your gut is a central hub for various pathways through the body and a healthy gut microbiome means benefits for digestion, skin health, heart health, our immune systems, and more. Trust your gut with Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com living and use code 25living to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com living, code 25living. Yeah. And, you know, this is so deep, (laughs) which is why I'm just giving space for it to settle for listeners, because, you know, to me, what you're saying is very, very resonant. And Mm -hmm. the two examples that you just gave are like big. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Would it help to have a smaller example? (laughs) (laughs) They weren't too big. They were just, just right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, yeah. you know, when when I went to your level one training, mm-hmm. it was a really profound experience for me. And I learned so much about myself that I'm still learning that I've mm-hmm. never learned before. And what's amazing is when you start learning about somatic and embodiment practices you learn, it opens you up so much and you notice so much more about what's happening within yourself and within the clients that you work with as a professional, but it's not just like you get it and then you're done. It's like, it's Mm-mm. it's like <laughs> developing, you know, it's mm-hmm, like developing mm-hmm. in my body. It's mm-hmm. so cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think you're bringing up a lovely point, which is that this is a process that embodiment is a process, not a static state. And because we are dynamic human beings and we are continuing to encounter a new world and we are different every day and there's different things that we need to bring forward or take in, doing it in an embodied way and learning how do I embody this new state or this new challenge or or how do I show up in a new situation in an embodied way. It is a process. And 
And, and so it is something that we're going to continue to discover. You know, who am I this morning? Every morning I wake up and it's like I get to land in my body today. How do I do that? Because embodiment itself is this, it's, it's a process not just of being aware of my body, but it's about being aware from my body and from, from my body in different states of, of awakeness and in integration. And, you know, some days I have a cold and <laughs> it's like, I'm, I'm different, you know? So, and, and, and certainly as, as I, as I age, my body's changing. So how do I be a fully embodied, you know, 55 year old woman versus an embodied 20 year old woman? It's going to be different. Thank mm-hmm. God. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, for me, it's about consciousness and, and bringing more consciousness to where I am embodied Mm-hmm. And where am I not? Mm-hmm. And and cho- times where I might choose to disembody. Yeah, sometimes it's a really and, important choice. Yes, and, like, and helping clients to to see yeah, that is yeah. very empowering. Yeah. Um, or when, and this again goes back to the sensory piece, because maybe there's certain environments where I need to disembody to be in that environment, or the environment causes me to disembody. <laughs> right, or what or, I need to buy, embody in that moment is my defensive system versus my attachment system. Yes. Right. Or if I'm, you know, when do I want to pull out of even my visual system and go into maybe my tactile system for interacting with the world, you know, and but being able to have flexibility with it mm-hmm. and intentionality, the more intentionality we have too with it is, is I think, increases with our embodiment. Yes. I was wondering if you could say a little bit more about the choosing your defensive system instead of your attachment system. Mm -hmm. Mm. Sure. (laughs) Can I ask you a little bit more about where that question's coming from? Because it sounded like it came from a little bit of a, an insight or something. Were you thinking about something in particular? Well, I'm thinking, I'm kind of thinking about the idea that we often have as therapists about, for one, it's like, as neuroscience is becoming more informative, you know, to us as therapists about working. I mean, my work is with trauma. So I think about working with trauma, but Mm -hmm. you know, you hear people say you need to get regulated. You need to get regulated or (laughs) that client needs to be regulated. Right. And you know, and it's, it's almost like I was not okay, but now I'm regulated, you know, and it's like, okay, in this moment, but it doesn't just stay that way, you know, because we are, interacting with our environment and with other in relationship to other beings. But so I think that it's valuable to point out that sometimes, and this might not be exactly where you were going. So this is somewhat the insight that was in my mind and mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. expand if you feel you need to, mm-hmm. but um, how it's not about not having a threat defense system, you know, because sometimes you are in danger, you know, even if you have trauma and your, your threat defense system may be activating at times when you don't want it to, like when you're trying to be close in relationship and you feel right. like you have to pull away. Mm-hmm. But there are also times where, you know, you may choose to pull away because you know, that's what feels safest in that time. Right. Okay. 
So I was curious about how you thought, and that was what was going through my mind. So I was curious right. about what you thought when you were saying mm-hmm. that. It is a, along along those lines. Um, like we want to be able to be to be able to make choices about where we meet somebody, where we connect, and where we disconnect. And I think that one of the things that, from a neuroscience perspective, and particularly when we're thinking about the ventral vagal engagement that saying no or saying back up to somebody or go, I want you to go away, in on one sense can seem like that is a defensive reaction because we're, we're, we're wanting to create distance. But it is in some ways actually part of our attachment system because what we're doing is we are saying, this is where I want to be in relationship with you. I'm advocating for myself. I am setting a boundary, which is different than our animal defense system, which is I'm going to fight you. I'm going to like, it's not like me saying to Paula, I don't want to talk about this right now. I'm going to go outside and get some fresh air right? Which is I'm leaving, you know, but that's not like me bolting out the door, which would be something different, right? Shoving your hand in her face and (laughs) running. Right, right, right. Exactly. Like, you know, shoving my hand in her face would be fight and flight, right? Running out the door. Animal defenses. Right. right. Now I want to be able to access that because, you know, let's say Paul is having a super bad day and she's not, she's not listening to me. I just have to get out of here. Right. Um, You know, sometimes, you know, I want to have access to that, but I don't want that going off all the time. And I don't want to have to be fighting my impulse to push her in the face and run out the door while I'm pretending to have a conversation with her. Right. That's just exhausting. Right. And that's what you're kind of talking about, like shutting down the, the reaction that comes up, but it's like disembodied. Right. You're shutting it down, but you're not. It's right, which is not the same. Yeah. Right, right, right. And so I think that was like that. That's part of what I was hearing too. It's like, okay, me overriding my animal defense impulse and st- sitting here and having a conversation with Paula, even when I want to run out the room, that's not regulated. Yeah. It might look regulated, but it's not regulated. Coping strategies that allow me to override or or disembody or dissociate from my impulse to push her and run are not, it's not the same as being regulated and being in my attachment system because my attachment system allows me to stay in relationship and say, I want to meet you here. I want you to come closer. I want you to move farther away, but I'm going to stay in relationship. Even if that relationship is, I can only talk to you over the phone. I'm still in relationship with you. Right. Does that make sense? It makes sense. I'm I'm just thinking about mindfulness right. and how Paul is thinking about how, does she want I'm, to push me? In the face? No, <laughs> I'm just I'm just I'm just thinking about my clients that practice mindfulness and do a lot of overriding. Right, right of mm-hmm. their natural reactions mm-hmm. in order to yeah. I think they're regulated. Right, and I think there's something that's there's like we can do meditation and have skills to have a real state shift so that I'm really coming into attachment. 
right? I am really regulating in the here and now as opposed to being hijacked by a somatic memory, right? And that's so often what happens with trauma is that something in the here and now will trigger a, a somatic memory, a state that goes with the past that feels like now I'm now, but it's happening right now because my body is doing it right now. And so we might want to have a state shift that orients them to the present moment. So they're actually, their nervous system is regulating as opposed to somehow overriding or dissociating from their state. Right. So that they can pretend that they're present, but they actually aren't fully oriented to here and now. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And they, and then I think that's just so important because I think we may do that and we think that that is what being regulated feels like. But then when you feel what actually being regulated in connection with another person feels like, right. it's like, yeah. what's this? Right. Mm-hmm. And that gets to one of the things that we talk about um, in the training and I talk with my clients a lot about is understanding the difference between being safe and being protected. And a lot of times people will stay in defensive postures and, and um, organized states of defense which are protective because they, and they will say, well, I feel safe Mm -hmm. because what they are feeling is that there's some distance between them and danger. But that's not what being safe is because safe is not the absence of danger. Safe in terms of our physiology is the presence of something that is resonant and receptive and regulating, right? It is a presence of something, not the absence of of danger. It's something that we can attach to that is nourishing and nurturing. Because we can feel, we can come across danger, and if we feel safe with who we're with, we will react to the danger differently. Totally. Right? Yeah. We'll have totally. access yeah. to, to actually thinking about like, you know, like what do we do as right. opposed to just like, yeah. ah, right? Yeah. I experienced something like this recently. I went to Europe and it was my first time being in Italy and I was there for two weeks because my daughter was studying abroad and I wanted to visit her. My husband and I went. So we spent the first week together in Italy and the second week I was there without him. And it was noticeable to me how much more difficult it felt to navigate everything Mm -hmm. when I was not with my number one attachment figure, my husband, Mm -hmm. even though he doesn't know his way around. In fact, I had been to Europe before and he hadn't. So I was the more experienced traveler in that way. Although Mm -hmm. I'd only been there once and it was, 30 years ago, but still, (laughs) I, you know, just knowing like there's, we're going to figure this out together Mm -hmm. versus when it was me and my daughter, which was still wonderful, but it was like, I'm the parent and I have Mm -hmm. to figure this stuff out and Mm -hmm. we're we're going to do this together. And it's wonderful. I love being Mm -hmm. with her, but 
Mm-hmm. She's not co-regulating mm-hmm. me, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So it brings it, you know, when you think about eating disorders, I'll kind of just bring it back. So when when we're working with eating disorders, we want to be thinking about the attachment system and their sense of feeling safe in relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we can tie that also into the sensory processing because, you know, how it, how did you, for example, have a felt sense of your husband? It wasn't just that he, his thoughts were there. It was like physically, I mean, cause you could still call him up, right. And talk to him. There was like, <laughs> <laughs> there's something yeah. or text him or whatever, you know, there's something about that felt sense. Right. And, and knowing like, how do you know there is a safe other there? That's something that we neurocept. That's something that we, we also pre- you know, we perceive, we take, we're taking that information in very subcortically of there's the presence of a safe other and it shifts our, 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 our neurology and gives us access to parts of our thinking brain, our creative thinking that we don't have when we don't neurocept safety, when our sensory system doesn't bring in that information into our into our brains so you can see that attachment and sensory processing influence each other i just i thank you both for what you're sharing and we're just about at the end of our time already but i want to say about what you said paula about it just made me think if the eating disorders therapist is you know angry with the client or it feels, you know, why aren't you doing what you're supposed to be? Yes. Or scared, 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 scared. We're all scared. It's such a, everything about eating. Because there's so much scared. Yeah. 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 Danger and risk. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. exactly. But how that just, you know, actually interferes with the client being able to Mm -hmm. get better rather than helping. Yeah, and at the level of the treatment center, when you think about when you walk into a treatment center, does it elicit feelings of safety or not? Right, their their environment and and you know whether clients are called patients or clients or how they're treated or what the environment is and how the staff interacts with them. Are they interacting with them just as an eating disorder mm-hmm. or do they see the whole person? Mm-hmm. Do they understand the dynamics underneath it? And that is all translated mm-hmm. to the client and will be neurocepted as, you know, am I safe here? Or am I not? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And another plug for the sense for, for attending to the sensory system, because a lot of times we don't recognize that when we are in certain levels of fear, right. In hyper arousal, what we have are heightened senses in, but but not necessarily integrated. And when we go into hypo arousal, we have dulled senses, right? Again, not mm-hmm. integrated. And so the sensory environment is is really impactful and can and can make regulation that much more challenging because even if I have an attuned other in the room, but the whole room itself is assaulting or is, is too much or too little, right? Especially like the dining areas, right? I mean, talk about sensory overload to, to nervous systems that are, are taxed either from, from trauma, 
from attachment injury, from starvation, right? <laughs> so we've got to, we are nourishing our system with energy that is coming in many, many forms. Some of that energy is coming through food. Some of it is coming through the energy, the co-regulation. Some of it is coming through light and sound and touch. And we have to pay really careful attention to all of the ways that people are taking in and giving out energy. Well, what you two are doing is fantastic. I'm so glad that it's really building and growing the way it is. And certainly want to help you and support you in spreading the word about it as much as possible, because I think this is, this is like really, really, really important. Well, thank you so much for your support, Laura. It means a lot to us. Yes. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you both so much for coming back to therapy chat today. And you know, you're, you have an open invitation to return anytime you feel like it because I just love talking with both of you. Oh, wonderful. It's a treat talking with you as well. Yeah, yeah. We hope to see you in person again sometime yeah. as well. Yeah. Well, where can people find what you're doing with Embodied Recovery? Where can they get so, on those training email lists and all that good stuff? Yeah, we, we do have a constant contact blast that they can sign up for if they go to our website, www.embodiedrecovery.org. And we have a list of our upcoming trainings um, and tells you a little bit about us and the program. We have several podcasts listed there if they want to learn more. And then we also have a Facebook page, Embodied Recovery Institute, and we post a lot of research relevant to mm-hmm. the work we're doing mm-hmm. and keep you up to date on where we're heading, different conferences that we'll be at and podcasts that we're on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if anyone's going to be at the IDEP conference in Florida this mm-hmm. March, they should come by our table and give us a chat. Which conference is it? That's the, the IADEP, the International Association for Eating Disorder Professionals, which is happening in March. Perfect. Um, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm going to put links to everything you mentioned in our show notes. And I just want to thank you one more time for being my guest today. Oh, thank you. Laura. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to my interview with Rachel Lewis Marlowe and Paula Scataloni of Embodied Recovery. I love talking with them every single time. They're such knowledgeable people and doing such important work. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. As always, I'd love to hear what you thought of this episode. Feel free to go to therapychatpodcast.com and leave me a message on SpeakPipe, or you can email me at therapychat.podcast at gmail.com. I always love hearing from you. Until next time, be well. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com.
Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Just another reminder that if you'd like to become a member of Therapy Chat, supporting the podcast while receiving fun member perks and being able to communicate with me one-on-one, go to patreon.com slash therapy chat. If every subscriber donated just $1 per month, Therapy Chat would be able to keep going strong indefinitely. Thanks so much for your support. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, please visit therapychatpodcast.com.